I'm right and you're wrong. Once you start labeling people, categorizing of humans and ideas, you have desensitized yourself to the humanity of that other human being, to who they really are. And in the marketplace of ideas, these things are complicated, man. We all need to engage with a variety of viewpoints. A genuine multicultural connection with another. I mean, sometimes you don't need to agree or disagree. You just need to sit with it and digest. Welcome back to Ideas Digest, the podcast where, Cam, we fear no idea. No. And we search for understanding, not debate. It's a strange concept, I know. <laughs> my name's Conrad. With me, my co-host, Cam. Yeah, I'm, I'm here again. On this show, we like to look at challenging ideas that usually divide us and put them back into context so we can try and understand them. And and the context, Cam, is what? Always the person. It's always the person. The that's, person is the context. person is the context. That's, that's where we're coming from. So And today is no different. We're joined by a new friend of the show, Seth, Seth. all the way from... Seth, where are you from? Cartersville, Georgia. Thanks for having me on, guys. And like all bloggers, I'm in my mom's basement. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Nice, nice. So, uh, Seth, I came across Seth, bit of a backstory, how I ran into Seth. Um, I was scrubbing the internet, as I do, and I came across a website called Pulpit and Pen. And Seth is a contributor to this website, Pulpit and Pen. Now, my gathering, I'll give my impression of kind of what I found new to this website. What is it? Well, I was looking across and my best layman's description is it seems to be a, like a rather conservative evangelical or Baptist news site and yep. blog site dedicated to providing news and information about what I perceive to be the hot topics of Christian politics in the United States. Right. This is a foreign world to us Australians because... Yeah. We don't Christ have the same. Sort we don't have the same of, dynamic yeah, going yeah. on in Australia. So, like Christian politics, I'm talking about like abortion rights, gay marriage. Uh, like, yeah. I came across an article, Cam, naming and shaming the worst Christians of 2019. Ooh, right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, I mean, if that gives a, a bit of an outline, but Seth, if you want to give us a, like a little bit of a rundown of pulpit and pen and what that is. Well, uh, we actually just rebranded ourselves, I think, to PNP News. Okay. But. Okay. but Rebranding aside, what the, the site historically is, it's a polemics website. And some of your Australian listeners may be familiar with Church Watch Central. That's a blog that keeps up with like Hillsong and I think some guy named Pringle, just kind of the, uh, the abuses of theology in the charismatic movement in Australia. Talk right. about uh, like polemics. Talk about that word for us if people haven't heard polemics. I actually Googled it. <laughs> uh, 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 <laughs> I'm trying to think of a, uh, an Australian reference. We had a guy named Andy Rooney on American 60 Minutes, and it was just some old guy who sat around and complained about everything. So uh, think of your granddad complaining about a bad restaurant. But and from a theological perspective, polemics is, is looking at something that's being preached, like a doctrine that's being teached by somebody, looking at what the Bible actually says, and you preach a polemic against that person. They say they're a false teacher or they're doing something wrong. Like a it's, rebuttal. Yes, it's a it's a lot it's it's related to apologetics. So I'm a okay. Christian apologist. Yeah. I actually have a master's of divinity in that from a Baptist seminary, and that's defending the faith. But within the faith, you have polemics where you just hurl invectives at heretics. 
Invectives. Wow, well, what's that? <laughs> yeah, it's like a criticism. A criticism right, to heretics. Right, right. Okay, so it's like <laughs> a, 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 a Christian granddad sitting around being like, no, nah, you're a heretic, you're wrong. Yeah. Yeah, that's... yeah, imagine your granddad at Hillsong when they bring out the drummer and the, the girl wearing foreign <laughs> yeah. jeans. And the heavy bait on the on the <laughs> <Yeah>. bass drum. <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, I, 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 that's very like self-aware. Like if you bring you, okay, so what is PNP? Well, if you bring your dad, your granddad to Hillsong, Yep. And listen to what he says. That's that's kind of the vibe going on there. It's like yeah. those drums are too loud. Bring them down. And why is he wearing skinny jeans? Yeah. Um, I was looking at the website, um, scrolling through like beliefs, trying to like get an idea. Because this is, I'll, I'll be honest, this is very foreign to us Australians. We're, we're not, yeah. I don't know. We don't, I mean, I'm we're sure not we as overt with our, yeah. um, I think our Christian beliefs is how yeah, I would describe like, it. Yeah, I think I think the thing I respect about the Americans is that they'll they'll stand up for their rights. Yeah, you know yeah. us Australians, we're my, pushovers. My general sense is that like, ah, she'll be right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's how everyone's like something. Somebody should do something Someone about should. that. Oh, bloody not me. Not me though. <laughs> 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 yeah. So so that's 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 a bit of a foreign concept. So I was scrolling through trying to understand a little bit more. And on their beliefs page, just to give get everyone up to speed on a bit of a background, says all contributors. Uh, so it's like uh, pastors hold second London Baptist confessions. All con- all contributors are Baptists, but have heavy varying confessions in all their local churches, all of which are Orthodox in nature. Now, I want to get to the end here. There's something really important. All contributors hold similar convictions, including belief in scripture, inerrancy, young earth creationism. So very specific about the theology there. Yeah. Biblical manhood and womanhood. Yeah. And listen, I've got to, I've got to talk about this. A general detestation of skinny jeans. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to get off the wrong foot with Seth, but uh, we, we should say end quote. <laughs> oh no. But my, yeah. my jeans right now, I'm just yeah. showing the camera there. Yeah. They are those are skinny hugging chinos. the calf. <laughs> <laughs> They're well tight on the calf there. Camera. Oh, you're, no, flirting you're, with a man, you're flirting with a man bun too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Flatten, mate. Be, this thing is a full. Yeah. You could be a secret sensitive youth minister with that look. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know. I don't wanna, viewers I, know what you look like because, I mean... Um, Cam has a face for radio, but you're a handsome guy. I think you could get in. <laughs> so, so as you can see, I don't want to bring in too many divides up here, but like, yeah. what, like, what's the deal with skinny jeans? Just not a fan? Like, they just never took off in in, in where you are in America? Oh no, I mean, so, well, I live in the southeastern United States where rednecks are. It's just not as popular as they may be in New York City or L.A. Yeah. But the idea of a pastor wearing skinny jeans is say. 30 years ago, the pastor's in a suit and he's some lame looking, uncool guy with a pulpit, like a big wooden pulpit shaped like a cross with a Bible open. And now what you have at church is fog machines coming out of the side and some hip looking guy coming up with his skinny jeans on. He's like trying to be cool. And the idea is that, no, the Bible is God's word. We're here gathered at church to hear this respected pastor teach us the Bible. But when you wear skinny jeans like like Carl Lentz, you're trying to be cool. And that's that's backwards. Like it's not cool to die on a cross. So I hear what you're saying. You're pushing back more of on The skinny jeans are a symbol. Yeah, the, the skinny jeans are <laughs> yes, just a representation right. of, of the greater issue that it's you have. It's not a sin to okay. wear skinny jeans. 
It's the time oh, you use you. them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dodged a bullet there, Connor. Wow. Because <laughs> let's face it, they're all calf hugging. I'll tell you what, like, let's, let's be honest. I'm going to give a hot tip to anyone listening on your end. Skinny jeans, it's purely practical. I never have to iron pants because oh, they're yeah, so right. tight. Yeah. They iron themselves. <laughs> the warmth of my skin <laughs> is straight Job's out done. there. Job done. So anyway, okay. Skinny jeans aside, I think we can put our differences aside. Seth yeah, seems like yeah. he can he can talk to a guy with a man bun and, and, and skinny jeans. A bit of a tolerant guy, so thanks <laughs> yeah. for that. Uh, l- let's get to it. Let's get to it. The clickbait, okay? Once again, we like to start with the clickbait. The clickbait is... One, yes, what gets you to click, that's good. That's part of having a platform. But mm. it's where people start. When they meet somebody, we think in short clickbait forms. The reason why media use clickbait is because that's how we think. We come across yeah. someone, we see they're wearing skinny jeans, and we might make some assumptions. Brain shortcuts. Brain shortcuts. Yeah. And so the clickbait we've gone with, the brain shortcut here, that's a good one, Cam, <laughs> is women can't be pastors. Ooh. There's that's some, right. there's yeah. some, there's some, that's right. <laughs> that's easy. I wholeheartedly agree with that. The, the biblical manhood and womanhood is the polite way to say that. Okay. Yeah, okay. Well, All right. That's clickbait. We take away the politeness and we, and we cut to the heart of it. So yeah. like we say women can't be pastors. Now yep. I can hear a lot. Like I've got a lot of friends and I can, <laughs> I mean, am I just saying how many friends I have? I've got a lot of friends. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I have some friends who I can just imagine just triggering right now. Like yeah. are you, I mean. Particularly your female friends. Especially, Why can't I be a especially my female friends, yeah. um, because I know. I mean, I don't know about you, Cam, but when I try and tell my wife what she can and cannot do, yeah. that does not go down well. <laughs> Even yeah. if I try and predict behaviour, I'm oh. like, "Hey, Brooke, you wouldn't like this." She said, "How do you know? You don't know I wouldn't like. Don't box me." So I learn very quick. Anything that resembles a box around, like my wife or just my female friends or yeah. probably anyone in general, yeah. doesn't like. Having boxes People around don't them. Like boxes too much. Yeah. So there's the clickbait there. So before we get into the nuance of that, because I'm sure Seth has some ideas he wants to share around how he came to it, pull it how, apart, pull it apart, how yeah. this idea helps us. We we're still in the clickbait uh, assumption phase. So yeah. so we've heard the clickbait, and now all the, we're going to now throw all the assumptions that we can hear reverberating around the universe. Yes. Um, and throw them at you, and you can just no no time for nuance just yet. Just yes or no? Do you do you agree with these statements that we're throwing towards you? Okay. Yeah. Yes yeah. So no. yeah. Yes or no? There's no yeah. time for nuance. <clears throat> this is what uh, this is what some people will think. Normally, we just think these assumptions and we run away to our echo chamber, but yeah. not here. They're not here. not on this show. Yeah. We do the exact opposite. We say the assumptions aloud, not just think them, yeah. and then we check to see if they're accurate or not, yeah. and then. We begin the conversation rather than end it. So we're going to level what some people, you might have even heard some of these accusations. You're in, you're in the firing lines on a blog, on yeah. a podcast. So I'm yeah. sure none of these assumptions are new to you, but we're going to try and channel some. I've got the firing line by William F. Buckley right here. <laughs> <laughs> and so here we go. We've got assumption number one. You've just said uh, or agreed with the, the clickbait, women can't be pastors. So... Assumption number one, you're obviously sexist. No. Oh, okay. No. Okay. All, right. All right. Okay. So you must hate feminists then. Uh, hate's a strong word. 
Uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the, the Christians aren't supposed to hate anybody. That's a lame question to ask a Christian. A, a tentative yes. <laughs> I de- how about I detest feminism? Oh, yeah, that's fine. Okay. Yep, good All call. Right. All right. Oh, too much nuance. <laughs> yeah. Didn't like that one. Okay. You must then be in the South, evangelical Christian, Trump supporter. Um, actually, I didn't vote for him. Okay. Oh, too All much right. nuance. Yeah, yes too or much no, sorry. Trump supporter? <laughs> no, I'm not. A, no, I wouldn't say I'm a Trump supporter. Oh. Wow, okay. there you go. All man. right, He's proving these wrong. All right, these. I, mean, again, I will say this: are... if you, when I go to church on Sunday and you sit me down next to ten people, eight of them are going to be Trump supporters. So, right. Oh, okay. so you're like amongst so you, them, but you're yeah. not one of them. Yeah. Yes. Right. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Another one that people might, and you've probably had this thrown at you before. Some people, like particularly being in the South, you might be considered a white supremacist. Would you consider yourself <laughs> a, a white supremacist? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. It's like y'all got in a time machine to podcast 50 years ago. We don't, <laughs> we don't really have that. Those That's very rare to find find one. Yeah. <laughs> very rare to find one. Okay. That's good okay. to hear. That's good well, to hear. on the internet, tell that to the internet. I'm yeah, seeing these yeah, accusations right. flying around on YouTube comments everywhere. Yeah. So, all right. Here's, here's one. You're a card-carrying member of the NRA, the National Rifle Association. Australia, we don't have one of these, but yeah. it's like a gun-toting political machine. You're yeah. a member. No, I don't need the NRA. I got the Constitution. Oh, okay. <laughs> so does that mean you're not a member of the NRA? I'm not a member of the NRA. I don't, oh, uh, I don't know a lot of members of the NRA. I, listen, everybody has guns. But yeah. the NRA is like a <laughs> lobby group. If you ask me if I have guns, yeah, I got guns. But okay, okay, that was that was gonna be my other one. You've yeah. got you've got five or more guns. <laughs> He's counting. So. He's counting. Ah, <laughs> uh, no, I think I have less than five. Or probably <laughs> just his numbers. He's hesitated around the pinky. Yeah, about yeah. number four. Yeah, he's like, did I sell that one or not? <laughs> Greg, I put it on Greg's list. Yeah, the dude uh, who owns pulpit and pen has like a hundred guns. I'll tell oh, you that. Wow. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, so that's a, that's a fair assumption there. Yeah, so okay. no NRA, but yeah. gun, gun touting. Definitely yeah. gun touting. All right, so some might you accuse you of this. Um, some might say you're a redneck. The I'm wearing a Piggly count. Wiggly shirt, guys. I don't know if y'all know what Piggly Wiggly is. It's a grocery store, and it has a pig for a mascot. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean... I'm a redneck. I've got two master's degrees, but I'm a redneck. Yeah, cool. Fair oh, well, enough. I guess you you pretty much answered the next assumption we have. We would say, two well, if you're a redneck, yeah. then you've got to be uneducated, and that sounds like a no with yeah. two master's yeah. degrees. That's a that's a hard no. Yeah, I'm not, I'm educated. All right. Well, unless so, if you come from a place where everybody's a redneck, some of them are going to have to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> University's got to educate yeah. someone. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay, last one, last one. Uh, we'll finish on this one. It's a little bit off topic, but we're going to check it out there anyway. Might be an assumption anyway. people have. Yeah, people <laughs> will still have the assumption we're assuming. So, um, climate change denier. Where are you on? What are your thoughts on climate change? I mean, change? I I don't study that. I don't know. Okay. I, I mean, I'm not somebody posted on Facebook like there's a scheme. The government's trying to make us think a client, client and Al Gore's controlling everything. I I'll tell you this. I don't I don't give thought to that. Okay. He's a climate change abstainer. Abstainer, yeah. <laughs> I've never heard of one of them before. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's okay. fair. I mean, it's slightly too much nuance, but it was the last question. Yeah, so we're, we're getting into the nuance we'll area. So we'll let, right. it, yeah. we'll, we'll let I'm it. I'm sorry. Sorry for all the qualifications. 
<laughs> yeah, okay. no, that, and that's, that's, that's fair. That's so there true. we go. So we had a statement up top where yep. people might think we've gone, hmm, we've got a lot of assumptions. People might have heard. We put them to them, proved most of them. Yeah, incorrect. Seth considers <laughs> to be incor- incorrect. Yeah. Um, so it's good. So this yep. is the beginning of the conversation. So now, now, Seth, you get a chance to kind of explain the idea um, women can't be pastors. Yeah. Um, explain to us the idea. What do you mean? So you said uh, that's probably not the best way of putting it. And up the top, you mentioned biblical manhood, biblical womanhood. Womanhood. Yeah. So take your time. Explain the idea. What do you call Go as deep as you yeah, like. Yeah. Well, the Google word for your audience, if they're unfamiliar with it, the theological term is complementarianism. Is that uh, yes. okay. men and women are equal, made in the image of God, of equal worth in the sight of God, and they complement one another. And a man has a role and a woman has a role, or various roles in society. And one role that a woman is not meant to fit into or, or, or hold is the office of pastor unpack that why is that a role that a woman uh how are those roles defined like where do you I get can the... give you a great baptist fundament fundamentalist answer it's because the bible says so so if you look in the pastoral epistles the the epistles of timothy and titus to timothy and titus paul writing to timothy and titus they're known as the pastoral epistles and it is in those epistles that paul the apostle paul lays out the qualifications for an elder. So there, there are three terms used for pastor in the Bible under Baptist theology, a Catholic or Anglican might disagree. Episcopos is the Greek, which means bishop. Poimen, the Greek, means pastor. And then um, oh, presbyteros, where we get our word Presbyterian, means elder, but that refers to an office in the church, the office of pastor. And there's two offers of, uh, two offices in the church, pastor and deacon. And there are many uh, qualifications for pastor. You have to be not fond of sordid gain. You have to be above reproach, not a new convert. You have to manage your household well. And there's, there's one, it's the man manages the household because the man is in charge of the household. And then just straight up, Paul says, you must be the husband of one wife. In Greek, it's literally a one-woman man. So when you take that into account, and also other scriptures where Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, how in the world could you be a pastor, which is has a teaching function, if you can't teach men? So it's, it's a teaching function, it's a, a leadership function, and women just can't have it. A, a female pastor would be along the lines of a married bachelor or a square circle. I want to go into like your your worldview that has that has gotten you there. You said women can't be pastors, and you've outlined a structure of society: man, the head of the household, all of these things. And you mm-hmm. you kind of said because the Bible says so. Is yeah. there any other peripheral reasons that you have going into this, or because? Um, the Bible says it, and up the uh, in the beliefs there, it's it's a uh, when people are saying, oh, like the reading of it, it says uh, uh, like this scripture inerrancy, so it's looking like a very literalistic. Like if it says it in there, that's exactly how it should be yeah, here. That's right. Is there anything like outside of because the Bible says so that you can add to that? Well, now we're talking about systems of ethics and moral authority. So I have a d- divine command theory is what we're talking about here. So whatever is moral, whatever is right, is what is defined by God. Otherwise, it would be subjective. 
So if the Bible is the word of God, then it's authoritative. That's your authority on that. If the, uh, the Bible is the only guide for faith and practice in the church. So there is no outside influence that has any bearing on that. What the Bible says, that's the word of God. So if someone said to you, like, women can't be pastors um, because, and they would say, like, give me some reasons. And they would say, oh, what, you think I'm not smart enough, capable enough, um, intelligent enough, or you don't think I have the I'm skills. emotional or whatever. You probably, all probably know women who can get up in front of people and deliver a speech with great confidence and, and tell people what they're thinking. And we know women who are caring because a pastor has to be caring and they're very concerned about others and they give good counsel to others. It's, but they're not men. So even though they have the skill sets, they, there's, it still doesn't fit inside the paradigm of, of the biblical. Because the Bible says it. I think Paul talks about it. Yeah. Um, Because the Bible says it, that's it. There's no like, there's no added context. There's no, outside but this woman's like she's going to be a great like she can deliver like you were saying she can deliver sermons she can care about she can do all the pastoral stuff but because Mm -hmm. the bible says so you're just like nah think of think of it this way uh a pastor has to teach people doctrine from the bible what the bible teaches so the bible lays out these four or five qualifications to be a pastor you have to be a man so if you're a woman and you want to teach the Bible accurately, you have to teach that a pastor has to be a man. And if you're right. saying you're a pastor while you do it, you look kind of silly. Yeah. Okay. Right. okay. So I am hearing a lot of like that. What we what what is called the doctrine of biblical inerrancy, which I think is I would liken it to a very literal reading of the Bible. No, that's not exactly correct. Oh, not exactly correct. Go for it. Correct it. Inerrancy, and you. You might want to Google the Chicago statement of inerrancy. Inerrancy just says whatever the Bible teaches is true historically. There's no errors in the Bible of fact. It doesn't contradict itself. That's what biblical inerrancy is. So you could come from a denomination that doesn't hold to biblical inerrancy. And you might think that Paul didn't write Timothy. Therefore, Timothy is not authoritative. But if whether you believe the Bible is an inerrant or not, that shouldn't affect the way you look at the text. See, the textual interpretation is different from a belief whether it's wrong or not. So let, I could c- consider reading a, a, he, uh, a Veda from Hinduism or the Quran, and I would have to interpret it to say this literally means what it means. But it has no bearing on my life because it's wrong. It's not authoritative. So, so, right. so give us a difference then between, um, because the, the association seems for many people very close in that those that ascribe to a biblical inerrancy also subscribe to a biblical literalism in the sense that it's a six-day literal creation. It's if there's no, I guess, context around women can't be pastors because that back then women had different roles. So if you pass out the literal, the literalism and the inerrancy for us. Yeah. Okay. Well, we got to understand literalism. Let's take, for example, the Psalm that says God owns the cattle of a thousand hills. 
it doesn't mean that there are literally a thousand hills somewhere full of cows that God owns with a little branded Jesus <laughs> in their property. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's not what that means. It's a figurative statement. When Jesus says, uh, if you're, if you look at somebody with lust and your eye causes you to lust, rip out your eye. That's he's speaking figuratively. So if, if there's something in the Bible, like, uh, in judges, uh, Gideon went and killed a bunch of people. That literally happened. It's not figurative. So you, you, grammo historical, grammatical historical is the hermeneutic we use. Okay. Okay. Something to do with historical. So then just to understand your thinking and not get too off topic, but I think it will help apply what we're talking about. So you're saying in the Bible, there's these figurative metaphorical things that are saying mm-hmm. it doesn't, it, like it's not literally being said. It's talking about a greater truth though. Yes. Yeah. It's talking about yeah. something else. Yeah. Um, how, how then do you decide which is this figurative or metaphor and which is literal? Let's just take, show me your, walk me through your logic of going, okay, but Genesis literally happened. Cause I know a lot of people would say, oh, it's a poem. It's um, didn't literally happen in six literal days, but it's a poem of the creation of, of God. How, how do you come to the conclusion that this is literal and that is not, and that is not yeah. just to help people uh, map that understanding? Well, the Pauline epistles are just that they're epistles. They're letters written to somebody, written to Timothy and Titus, written to the Corinthian church, the Ephesian church, et cetera, et cetera. So when you're reading a letter, that's a specific genre of literature. And you, you're going to interpret it more literally than you would something that was a poem. Uh, so think of the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. The wisdom books uh, would be Psalms, Proverbs, Job, I think Ecclesiastes. So there's things in Proverbs which are proverbial, which aren't literally always true as rules. Because that's like uh, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. We all know people who leave church. That that's not what that means. It's about you're more likely to have a righteous grown up if you train them when they're little. That's just wisdom. So you interpret that as wisdom literature. Revelation is apocalyptic, talking about dragons and stuff. So when you come to Genesis, you will have somebody who says. All right, when you get to, say, Abraham, this is literal history. But when you look at Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, that's poetic. So somebody says the genre of this is historical record, so we take it literally. And somebody else might say the genre of this is poetic, and we need to interpret the creation account figuratively. Both of those people can be inerrantists, but they're identifying the book, the genre differently. Right. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I like that. I like that uh, differentiation. Yeah. Uh, between. I think that's an important distinction. And I think yeah. I can understand how you're then. So when you read the Bible, you're you're looking at the genres in which they fit to interpret how you should read them. So Paul yeah. is writing letters to people. You're going. He's literally saying this to those people, and I'm mm-hmm. going to take yeah. him at his word. Yeah. And then. Uh, and then, if you're reading Proverbs, you're going, "Well, this is a, wi- a wisdom book. It's it's yeah. not. It's you know saying it, there's a lot more metaphor to and poetry and all those sorts of things." Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so quick one then. You've you've outlined that you can be inerrant and also 
or what was it? You, you, yeah, you can believe the Bible is inerrant, but also believe that Genesis is not literal, which is an interesting thing that it, maybe people aren't yeah. aware of. I might have yeah. assumed that both went together. Yeah, so yeah. Seth's kind of yeah. clean, clean that out. Where do you sit on that delineation? Would you then say that Genesis is a poem or Genesis is more scientific? I, well, whoa, 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 whoa. It's not scientific. Genesis isn't a science book. So it's not trying, they're not trying to teach anybody or the author isn't, Moses isn't, isn't trying to teach everybody about the age of the earth or anything like that, or how the tectonic plates form. Because a science book is a genre in itself. It's like a science textbook. Hebrews didn't have a scientific method. So we, we, we can't look at it that way. I, I, I look at Genesis less figuratively than others. I, 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 that's more straightforward than somebody who's say a progressive creationist right uh, so you would say it isn't it isn't a like a poem literature you would say it what kind of category well, then there's there's poems in genesis i mean you when people are singing or speaking poetically but yeah. the genesis account doctrinally speaking teaches that god created the universe from nothing that's ex ex nihilo as we say and yeah. that there was a man Adam, who's a, a real historical figure, not a poetic, figurative, allegorical person, an actual person, and an actual right. Eve, and there was a real fall. Right. Okay. Yeah. So there, I'm, I'm picking up that there's like important, there's poetry mixed in it for you, but there's important key like touchstone points Historical. that are, are super accurate to you. Like right. that they are historically accurate and, and important to your understanding of it. Okay. Well, before we keep digging into it, I want to learn a little bit more about you, Seth. Yeah. Tell me about your background, uh, your upbringing, your, your two work, master's degrees, your all two that master's stuff. degrees, and what led you into this idea that of, uh, how did you put it, complementarianism? What yeah. kind of led you to that? So give us a bit about you. Uh, so I'm from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, I grew up going to a church called Woodland Park Baptist Church, which was a Southern Baptist church. That's its denomination. I don't know if all your listeners are familiar with the fact that each Baptist church is independent and autonomous, and the denomination yeah, can't tell, that. Us, yeah. tell it what to do. But they associate with conventions. So that was a Southern Baptist church. And uh, I went to college. All, you know, I always went to always went to church my whole life. When I was when I was young, I accepted Christ as my Savior, repented of my sins, accepted Jesus, believing in the gospel, and was eventually baptized as per the order of Christ. And um, I, I, I did management information systems in my undergrad work at UGA, and then I got a master's of accountant, uh, became a CPA auditor, and I got married during that time. I've got five kids. So I'm raising my children in church as I was raised in church. And um, after I got my CPA license, I went to seminary and got a master's of divinity. And that, that technically speaking, that's a professional degree in how to be a preacher. And my specialization is in apologetics, which is defending the Christian faith. But, but I don't professionally pastor. I have autism. I would not be a very palatable pastor so i worked um, <laughs> palatable. Uh, I, I, I worked as a plant controller in a carpet mill 
so that's what I do professionally. And uh, I would say I go to the same type of church that I was raised in. So coming to this idea that a, a woman can't be a pastor, uh, I it's just always been taught. That's just always how it was. There, it's it would be unthinkable the churches where I've been to, for a woman to be a pastor. And the teaching is is rooted in what the Bible teaches. And there was a there was a great controversy in the 80s in the Southern Baptist Convention specifically about whether or not the scripture is inerrant. And the people who didn't think it was more or less got ran off. So that's how we end up with different denominations. And they have women pastors, quote unquote, in those denominations. But, you know, like you eventually get old and you start to question things and you say, all right, this is how it is. Why is this how it is? And you either you look at the Bible and say, oh, yeah, I've, I understand this for myself. This teaching seems to be in line with the Bible. And then I'm, what do I believe about the Bible? Is this authoritative? OK, I will retain this doctrinal position. Right. So it sounds like um, to me, I'll just sort of give you back what I've heard and you can tell me if it's accurate or not. It's essentially, to put it in metaphor, it's essentially this idea is water that you've been swimming in from as long as you can remember like you this is you've grown up with this mm-hmm. and then as you've gotten older um you started to question for yourself you've gone to cemetery se- um cemetery. <laughs> don't go there yeah um seminary and you've gone further into these ideas and you've come to them yourself like you've you've taken these ideas on board as not f- given to you externally but you've come you've found them yourself would yeah. that mm-hmm. be fairly accurate yeah, and you, you guys should understand this is not something the average Baptist thinks about on a given day because most of them will never be a pastor. There's only a few pastors in any given church, and that's generally not something the women even would think to aspire to, and people don't think there's anything weird about it. It's just kind of how it yeah, is. Yeah, right, so it's just, just the way it is. So yeah. talk to us about... Um, in light of that, like, talk to us about the social or political groups you might belong to. Like, you're obviously quite involved in a in a church community, but are there any other, like, talk to us about all your social things. I'm a member of the Georgia Society of CPAs. I mean, I, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I myself am not involved. I'm not a member of a political party. I'm not involved in any interest groups. I mean, I have five kids. I don't have time to do anything ever. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I mean, yeah. That's just practical. Yeah, so your your church community is definitely your biggest your main um, community. Yeah. community. Yeah, yeah. And has it been the same church community your whole life, or have you shifted a little bit? Oh, um, I mean, we, they didn't take a whole other podcast. Uh, I got disfellowshipped. <laughs> I got excommunicated. Oh, you got disfellowshipped. Yeah. Wow. We got to get you back. Bombshell. Yeah, we need so to hear that we'll, story. We can do a podcast about Freemasonry if you want to, and I can tell you how I got Wow. Yes. Absolutely, <laughs> we want to. <laughs> Short answer then is no. Yeah. You haven't been in the same uh, like church community your whole life? Not the same individual church, but I've always been someone who's either a member or attends Baptist churches. Right. Okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. So yes and yeah. no. Yeah. Okay. With a story, we'll have to come back. Yeah. To yeah this that's fascinating. Okay. <laughs> so so you've always it's been commonplace for you to not see women as pastors. How growing up? How do you? What about women in leadership? Is it just pastors? Like if you have 
if you uh, were a boss and you were promoting yeah. someone, would you go, oh, yeah, she's a great candidate. That's totally fine. Bible doesn't say I can't hire a, a, yeah. a, a qualified female accountant lawyer, like above me or something. How, how does that work? No, no, my boss is a woman. So I report to a corporate controller who's a woman. Uh, I have an assistant controller who works for me. She's a woman. I mean, I don't think that's weird in any way. Like women can be in the workforce. So it's definitely re- defined to the religious realm then, like it's definitely pastoral. Well, my boss doesn't have any ecclesiastical authority over me. So it's within that realm and no problem with women in leadership in general? No, I mean, not in general, no. If somebody's a qualified leader. Female, what about a, <laughs> what about a female president? Well, Not saying depends, Hillary, don't get started on that. that yeah. right. <laughs> so it, just, it, it depends. You, you have to have a lot of experience to be president, I would hope, and a lot of life experience and a lot of work experience. I'm someone who thinks it's virtuous for a woman to aspire to be a mother. And when you're a mother, you don't really have time to run the free world. So the type of women I know who they've inspired to be mothers and they have those values not because they don't have the skill set to do administration, but they're just not going to end up there. It's like the wage gap. Men get paid more than women. You say it's sexist. Well, that's because a woman takes five years off to raise her kids. And then when she comes back in the workforce, she has five years less experience. So she makes less. So you wouldn't, you don't, you wouldn't think that it's because of discrimination then you're saying there's other, there's other, other factors, other factors yeah. at play. Well, I don't know what your Australian laws are, but you're not allowed to say you can't run for president because you're a woman. That's an illegal type of discrimination. But when you vote for people, you discriminate against any number of things. You can not like their tie and not vote for them. Uh, okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. So it is very much within the realm. So let's try and sum this up. It's within the realms of, what did you say, ecclesiastical authority. Uh-huh. What is that, just to unpack yeah, it just for some people? So, when we read the Bible, we see the word church in English. The word Greek is ecclesia, and it literally means the called out ones. The church is God's elect people that he's chosen. They're called out and separate from the world. Those are God's people. Jesus has saved them. He's paid for their sins. They're the children of God. And specifically in a local church, it's, a, it's an assembly. We gather together on the Lord's day to worship God. And we're all accountable to one another in covenant relationship. And we have a responsibility to take care of one another. If one of us falls into sin, we have a responsibility to say, hey, repent. So ecclesia, that's the, that's the word for church. So when you say ecclesiastic, that's the doctrine of church, ecclesiology. So, so, so you would say part of your responsibility then as part of this community of believers, you, you, you just said there, it's your responsibility to say to people, hey, repent. Is that what you see the... The role of the pastor. The role of, well, the pastor and the PNP News website where you've listed, well, not you, but the website has listed worst Christians of 2019. Is, is that what the role it's trying to fulfill there is to be like, yeah. hey, you say you're a Christian, repent, because that's wrong. Is, is that what that is? Oh, no. When I talk about repent, and remember, you got to think from a Baptist context, everything's a local church. The, the Bible says, bear one another's burdens and in this fulfill the law of Christ. You do that out of love. Matthew 18 says, if your brother sins, go to him privately and show him his sin so that he can be restored to fellowship 
with God and with the rest of the church. When you're writing an article in, in the news, and let's say J.D. Greer, worst Christian of 2019, that's, that's the article you're talking about. J.D. Greer is in front of his church. He's the pastor there. And by the way, it's not just the pastor's job to bear everybody's burdens. It's every single church member's job. Now, in America, we hire pastors to do it because we're lazy. You know, we don't want to mow our own grass or have our own pastor. That, that's a wrong idea. It's not the pastor's job to share the gospel. It's all of our job. But with J.D. Greer, that's his organization in North Carolina. And if he wants to run a church like the devil, he can do it. But you write an article like that to say, hey, this guy's the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. We got people in seminary looking to him as an example. He's appointing trustees who are going to appoint other trustees to run our seminaries and mission boards. But this guy's pretty terrible. This is what he's doing. Watch out. Don't do it. Here's where it's wrong. What I'm picking up is that you're informing a general public who yeah. are involved with that church. So you're mm-hmm. saying like this, this is going on over here and you should be aware of it because this, it'll affect your life in this way, this way and that way. Right. Is that pretty? Watchman okay. on the wall. Right. Okay. okay. So it, it was good that you just defined there because I wanted to, one of the things that I wanted to ask is when, uh, when Conrad was talking about when you were saying, Hey, repent, I wanted to know if the reason that women can't be pastors is because the pastor is that's like the role of the of the pastor you've kind of already answered that so it, i just wanted to flag that as something that's important because so it's not that women can't tell men not to do something because it's sinful and you know breaks the connection with god or yeah anything. that's that's a good question can 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 women partake in this practice too can they be like hey i'm going to write an article and you need to repent for this like, yeah well let, let's just make it very simple uh, let's say there's a woman who's a waitress in a restaurant and she sees a member of her church come into the restaurant on a date. He's married and he's coming there with his mistress and they're sitting on the same side of the booth holding hands. There's no question about it. She is within her her ecclesiastical rights, if not her responsibility to go to that brother and say, you're committing adultery. You're in sin. You should repent. Now, practically speaking, maybe bring another woman with her so there's not a question of a man and a woman are alone together and you know there's some bad you know bad thing going on. But yeah, a, a woman could definitely has place to do that. If 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 my wife saw that, I would say, you tell me about it and I'll go talk to the guy. But or I'll go with you. But it yeah, a woman can definitely do that. And that's not teaching somebody. That's we know we know adultery is wrong and saying no you stop that and so the goal of that what is then the goal so when when in that situation that you've just outlined if your wife comes back and say oh i saw, saw bloody tony down there with his lady can you go chat to tony and sort him out what's your goal in that being like all right i'm gonna go chat to tony what are you hoping to accomplish i'm hoping that he repents of his sin and is reconciled to god who he's estranged himself from god through his sin right and if he doesn't repent, that proves, yeah, that he doesn't belong in the church. Unpack that concept of being sinning, separated, estranged from God, yeah. and then repenting. So is sin what you're saying? This thing that like gets between us and God suddenly, like we're not saved, or God, yeah, what does that doesn't look like? love us, or what? Do, yeah. What do you mean by that? So we're all born into sin. 
because we're children of Adam. That's why the doctrine of Adam is so important. So we're born dead in our sins, separated from God. And when we repent of our sins because the Holy Spirit regenerates us and our sin nature, we that's when we're converted and we're justified before God through Jesus. And if that is a legitimate conversion, like we really did repent, it wasn't intellectual, it wasn't phony, if it's quote unquote took, like the Holy Spirit really regenerated you, then you're what you might call quote unquote saved. All right. So you're saved. And now because you got saved, you joined a church. So now you have a covenant responsibility with the other members of that church to live holy lives. And when you're sinning, it's not that you lose your salvation because of the sin, but it's that your sin, you're no longer, you're not acting holy. You may be chastised by God. You may have negative effects in your life in some way, but the church is affected because we're, you know, we're all in it together and we're not living a holy witness because we're supposed to be salt and light. We're supposed to be showing the world the life of Jesus, his hands and feet. And when we're cheating on our wife, we're not doing that. So that's calling that person to holiness and to repentance. It's not he lost his salvation. But it, the matter is, if he won't repent after the church goes to him and he says, no, I'm going to keep cheating on my wife. Well, we are going to declare that you're not actually a Christian. We're, we'll put you out. Can you just define for me something you said right at the beginning of that explanation, which was good. Um, you said providing that it was an authentic conversion or um, experience. Like how, how does, what does that look like? Why is that like, is there an externality that you can look at and say that was authentic and that wasn't? Like, how do you, how do you do that? Do y'all, do y'all know what an invitation is? Like a church service invitation? Yeah. Y'all have that there where you walk the aisle (laughs) and they start playing, All to Jesus I surrender. Altar call. Altar call. Altar call. Well, that was invented by a name. (laughs) That was was invented by a man named Finney about 100 years ago or 200 years ago, who was a Pelagian, quite frankly. So those are very strong emotional things. You get some evangelist who comes into church and says, the fire of hell is hot. You might come out of this church right now. You get hit by a bus and you'll die and you'll never have another chance to repent. And you'll never see your mommy and daddy again. And they scare some kid and they walk down the aisle and they, they, they say, what do I need to do? And he says, repeat after me. And he repeats a quote unquote sinner's prayer. But the guy doesn't understand the gospel. He doesn't really mean it. And then later in life, he realized, oh, I didn't agree with that. If you're truly sorry for your sin and you repent and ask Jesus to save you, he will. But you get it's like you got to understand what the gospel is. It's not just repeating the words some preacher says during an altar call. And that's what I mean by legitimate conversion. You know, the, I think it's in the, the Johannine epistles is those who left us were never really among us. Yeah, I want to pull out something interesting in, in what you were saying before. I'm seeing a connection and a perceived connection of everyone within the church as being what you were saying salt and light like as christians you're saying the christian group needs to stand for jesus and those beliefs and the gospels like in union like in unity Unity, yeah yeah, like like together yeah and if someone else is 
sinning, what you're saying, like doing the wrong thing, um, estranging themselves from God or whatever words we're using there. Yeah. It's almost like th- there's this reaction from the church because I'm seeing this connectedness saying, well, you're one of us. And if you're doing that, you're making us all look bad. So we're going to try and pull you call you out on that and back say, please connection. change, come back. Yeah. And if you don't, we're going to kick you out because we can't have a unit that isn't together, so to speak. Is that like a fair assessment of kind of what I'm seeing is this, it, if Cam is sinning, because I identify with him as a Christian, yeah. I have to either make him change so that he is representing the values that we all agree to as like, say a Baptist church or something. And if he doesn't, we're like, well, obviously you're not one of us. So get out of here. Is that like a rough summary? That's part of it. I'd say that's one side of it, the holiness of the church. And I'd say, if you look at the uh, the Bible from old Testament, the new God is very concerned about the holiness of his people. He takes it serious. He's called us to be holy as he is holy. But another part of it is about the love of that person and the care of that person's soul. Because if, if that person is living in a way that demonstrates that he's not really a Christian, but he's accepted by the church, he thinks, oh, I'm just fine. I'm a part of the church. I'm going to die and go to heaven. But then nobody ever challenged him. And he really never had to look at his life and say, did I really repent? Well, that guy's going to die and go to hell straight out of the church pew. And that's not loving that person. There's, so there's two things. There's consistency within the structure of, of whatever church Holiness denomination. Of the church. Yeah. yeah. And then there's what, you, what you're saying is that there's a love for a particular person that is, you know, living in sin or, or whatever language you're using around that. Is that yeah. pretty so accurate? Has anybody shared the gospel with you guys, especially like Ray? Is Ray Comfort Australian? You, you ever heard his, that kind of gospel presentation? Uh, no, it doesn't no, sound familiar. No. Okay, no. so I come up to you on the street and I say, hi, uh, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yeah. Oh, do we respond? Yes. You know, I'm Pretend you're on the street having this conversation with me. I'm okay, all right. You. Yeah, okay. I'm witnessing, right. Yeah. All right. Good, good, go. Role right. play, let's I'm go. Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll say no. I'll say okay. no for this. Um, well, do you, do you think you'll go to heaven when you die? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I I, what, what is heaven? I don't know what heaven is. I don't well, know. heaven is being in the presence of God. Do you think God would let you into heaven? Uh, I don't know. I think I'm all, I'm an, I'm an all right guy. I don't know. Are you, Maybe. Are you, you're a good person. Yeah. You're a good person. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, have you ever lied? Um, I might be lying now. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Anybody who says no is a liar. Yeah. Have you ever stolen that's a anything? Trick question. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever taken anything that's not yours? Like drugs? What's <laughs> <laughs> that? They were my drugs. <laughs> no, um, no, I don't think. I don't think so. No. All right. So most people would say yes, but so you're a liar. Why is God going to yeah. let you? Into heaven? Why is God going to let you to heaven as a liar? And you point somebody the Ten Commandments and you say, here are the things that sin is, almost all sin is rooted in these things. And somebody looks at somebody at church who has a mistress at Longhorn on Friday night and you say, y'all don't really believe that. Uh, you, it really does affect the way you're witness because the way to bring somebody to Christ is not to try to say, be like me, or you got to be in my club or my church is so great, is you've sinned, you're separated from God. And there's salvation because of the love of God there. So you got to bring somebody 
to realize, and really the Holy Spirit does it, that they've sinned and they need forgiveness. So it's not about joining my club. Just in case the listeners aren't aware, we're out of role play now. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> End scene. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so, cool. So you're hoping that like in that dialogue that I witnessed, the witnessing uh, to Cam there, it sounds like the goal and the common practice that I see on the website, I see in some of the articles you're writing, is this exposing people's sin and their wrong and perhaps their inconsistencies because he's like, oh, you say I haven't taken anything from yours. Well, yeah, come on, that's that, not that's true. That's a either. lie. And so <laughs> yeah. in exposing yeah. people's inconsistencies and let, let's... So it sounds like sin is very much defined as an action. It's like yeah. lying, stealing, cheating, um, doing drugs, like yeah. anything. is. It's an it's a verb, right? That's what I'm picking up anyway. And so well, that's a verb and a noun. Uh, hamartia is the Greek word for sin, and it means missing the mark. So God is the perfect mark. And when you miss his will or what he's told you to do, you've sinned. When you don't love God and you don't love your neighbor, you've sinned. Okay. So there's this level of everyone is sinning, but then there's this level of the church holding people accountable to these very visible standards of way of living which involves a certain um not lying cheating criteria criteria all of these things and the goal seems like uh, like uh, on the website and when people call you out like they might call you judgmental for 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 judging people saying don't do this don't do that you got to do this but the way i see you see it is if you can expose people to the what they're missing. What they're missing, the yeah. inconsistencies and how wrong they are, then if people can see that for themselves, they might come to Christ. Is that yeah. a fair assessment? No, the website is generally pointed to people who've already come to Christ because what does some lost pagan care about the Su- Southern Baptist Ethics and Religious Committee? You know what I mean? So you think about it, like that church discipline, that's that's keeping people accountable. It all happens at a local level. But when I say J.D. JD Greer is the worst Christian in 2019, well, why should you care if you're a Methodist or a Buddhist or just an agnostic? You don't care. That's not your news. It's like hearing about a soccer team you don't care about. But if you're if you're a Southern Baptist and you say, my church gives 10% of its total revenues to the Southern Baptist Convention, and then they take $4 million and give it to Russell Moore to, to do progressive politics, I'm just informing somebody, hey, your money and your support's going to something you might not like. I'm like the Ralph Nader of Christianity, unsafe at any speed. <laughs> so let's then come back to the main idea we began talking about, and we kind of went into you know where bait, it yeah. comes from and things like that. Um, what do you say when we're talking about women can't be pastors and complementarians, and what do you say then to... Uh, the people who would say Paul wrote that in the New Testament in a time where women had a certain place. And now, a few thousand years ago. A few thousand blah, 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 years ago. Yeah. But our context is different. Women aren't property anymore. Yeah. Um, like these structures look different. What would you say to someone that says, the Bible says it, yes, but in context, it's not telling us that this is how we should treat women. What's your response to that idea? Uh, Depends on the person. Is it a professing Christian or somebody who's a non-believer? Let's say a Christian. Yeah, yeah they say, say, I'm a Christian. When you see another Christian denomination ordaining a 
female pastor. What, what, how does that sit with your theology? Because they're, they're a Christian. Well, and it doesn't, so, and that's yeah. why we have a different denomination. It's, only, <laughs> yeah. when, it's but, only when somebody tries to do that in my denomination that I'm going to bark. Like, there's a bunch of, there, that's the reason we have different denominations. Presbyterians are over there sprinkling babies. Like, don't do that. Don't do that in my church. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Babies. Uh, okay. So it's very, um, and I don't want to box you too much, but it sounds like it's very specific to you. It's like the way you understand it is very personal and it's you're not so concerned about other people and the way that they understand it. But is it. that because you've like just categorized them as wrong? So it's like they're in the wrong denomination. Is that they're how you not see gonna, it? Yeah, they're not going to show up at my church. So let, let's take Candler Seminary at Emory University in Atlanta, which is United Methodist Seminary. And they've been ordaining women for years. I understand every day that there's females teaching at that seminary that other females can be pastors. Those people aren't going to try and come to my church and be pastors or even members. Now, if somebody tries to come to my seminary that I went to and say that, no, stop. And, 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 and the way I would talk to that person, and as I would say, uh, um, Paul refers to Adam and Eve, I, and I think either Peter or Paul. So we have Peter and Paul in the New Testament referring to the Adam and Eve all the way back to the serpent, saying this Eve was deceived first, going back you know thousands of years. And they're in a totally different context culturally because they're... Peter's a Jew and Paul's a Hellenistic Jew under Roman rule. That creation mandate that a woman compliments a man because Adam's alone. There's no suitable helper found for him. And the man's just incomplete without this woman. And now this woman compliments him. And there's this family unit. Society and culture doesn't have the authority to redefine the family unit for God. See, Paul's indeed writing in that Roman and Greek context, but he's writing to Christians for the Christian religion. They had all kind of different separate religions and cultures. It was Paul who said, there's neither male nor female, there's neither Greek nor Jew, there's nor slave nor free, but we're all one in Christ Jesus. That's a rejection of that Greek culture. But within the Christian culture, there is this delineation between female and male roles. So I would say somebody who's saying times have changed, if they're Bob Dylan saying the times they've changes, well, I'd say, do you have a divine command theory system of ethics, or do you have a cultural or subjective theory of ethics? So you're, you're flagging, I'm just wondering, because I want to like, clearly understand it, are you flagging that there might be a different and a wrong interpretation of the, those same Yeah, Bible when you look that, at those Methodist uh, seminaries that have women pastors and women teachers, from your perspective, you're like, listen, I like don't do it in my church. I know you're doing it, yeah. and I don't put much thought to it. But is that because you go, well, that's, that, wrong. that's wrong, and yeah. a Methodist, is that whole, from your perspective, is that whole kind of seminary people there just going to hell? Is that how you'd view it? Um. I would say that given their life lived out in a clear rejection of God, I have no, of God's word, I should say, I have no reason to believe that they're regenerate. And you got to understand, it, it, it's not just that one issue in the Methodist church. If it yeah, was, let's yeah, take a sure. thought experiment. Yeah, but you, when you abandon inerrancy, and a lot of denominations have, 
some of these people don't they don't believe in heaven and hell anymore. They don't believe God would send anybody to hell. So me thinking they're going to go to hell, they're just like, I don't even believe in hell. It's 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 kind of like the whole house of cards falls. So so just to unpack okay. this one idea, and it might be too reductionistic, and and, that, and that's okay. We can we can deal with that. Um, if it was just that, can you be believe in Bible inerrancy and have a woman pastor? Can the Methodists do that, like in that one issue? Well, let, let's look at somebody who would be uh, an inerrant denominator, like the Assemblies of God. I think they have women pastors, and they'll say we believe in inerrancy. And I think Hillsong came out of them, and they have you know Bobby Houston and Christine Kane, and they'll say we believe the Bible is inerrant. And they'll say, yes, this epistle is here and this is God's word. But when it says the husband of one wife, it's not talking about men only. They'll, they'll just they'll have a different interpretation. So they will intellectually say, I'm an inerrantist and I believe God's word. But then they do something against it. And it's up to the Holy Spirit to convict them. I can't be the Holy Spirit for anybody. So you're you're right. saying that according to you, from your perspective, for your, from your experience and understanding, it's not okay. You can't be an inerrantist, yeah. if that's the word. Yeah, and believe in women pastors. Yeah, you can from your perspective, but you just interpret it wrong. You're saying that that's inconsistent. Like you're yeah. saying, yes, it can exist, but you're saying yeah. it, it's it's contradictory. Yeah, I mean, you, you can be a free will Baptist or. Uh, Methodist, any kind of Arminian, and say the Bible's uh, inerrant, but you can believe that you can lose your salvation. What would you say then that makes you, uh, the way you've kind of pieced it all together, more right than the way they've pieced it together? So they're going, no, no, I'm reading it this way, and they probably look at you and they'll say, they'll say to you, like, no, no, you're reading it wrong, and you're like, this and that, and you're like, no, no, you've missed this, this and that. What makes you? Uh, more confident in your understanding of it than than them. Just from my study of it, that seems the plain meaning of the text applied. Uh, when I look at the church historically, you know, the church was around for 1,900 years and there was no female pastors. And all of a sudden, you got female pastors. You look at the denominations who get female pastors; their membership and participation goes down like this because you, you know, the whole house of cards falls down. But history is is not an argument. Ultimately, Scripture is the argument. And I gave my reasons for saying it says what it says. I'm interpreting this genre correctly. This is a a clear teaching. There's an overarching doctrine of male headship in Scripture as the head of the family. You have to step outside of that. And if somebody comes to me and says, well, uh uh-uh, Deborah was a judge, so a woman can be a pastor. Well, you're wrong, but you know, go on believing it. Don't join my church. So, what's the um, what's the harm then? Like, what, like you are, you're saying that it doesn't matter to you just as long as they stay out of your church, and that's fine. Like, they wouldn't want to be a part of it, and you're okay with it. So, what is there? Do you see a harm out on the other side of of that sort of belief? Like, if they don't, if they think it's okay to um, ordain women as pastors, is is there a harm to society for that? Well, who cares about society, man? It's about the church. I mean, I don't, I don't mean to sound like disconnected because I want society to be successful, but um, it's the church. It's the person. So pastor, 
I mean, you guys, you're Australians. You got sheep over there. You in New Zealand, you know, right? Well, you got a couple. Pastoral. When you think of something as pastoral, you think of the rolling hills and all the sheep. That's what Christians are called in the Bible. The Christian has a pastor and he's the under shepherd of Jesus. He's appointed there, basically a representative of Jesus to protect those people. If you don't have a pastor who's qualified, the wolves will eat the sheep. So So the harm in having a woman pastor is that the metaphorical wolves can eat the sheep. Yeah, she. If you somebody who's not qualified to be a pastor can't protect the sheep, and you believe that that qualification can only be given from God through the Bible. Yeah, that's how he chose. Really, really comes from the Apostle Paul, who wrote it under the uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Right, okay, right. Okay. Okay. So, so then, and this might be doubling up a little. What are people missing out on? When they have a female pastor, what are they missing out on? Having a shepherd. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Somebody in the care of their souls, having a pastor, basically almost not having a church because a part of a church is the offices. You have to have deacons and pastors. If you don't have pastors, do you have a church? I'll just summarize to make sure I'm understanding Mm. everything properly. Um, So... The male is given right by God through the Holy Spirit, through the writings in the Bible. Um, for males to be the pastors, they are the ones that they are the shepherds, so to speak, yeah. that look after the flock. And not every male is qualified to be a pastor. But every pastor is a male. It has to be male. Yes. 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 Yeah. So the point of that is then to, because there's a fear that if there is not a shepherd over the the sheep, the Christians, that they will fall into sin or or separation. And the devil from, will. Yeah, from is that is that pretty? The Bible says, "Perfect love casts out fear," and Jesus says, "Take courage, I've overcome the world." So Christians aren't a people who live in fear. It's not necessarily we're afraid of it. It's it's a pitfall that will happen. You know, Peter said, "Oh right, okay." The devil roams around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So if we're to clickbait so it and make it really pithy, if you have a woman pastor, the devil will get you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's right. That's the article if you want somebody to read it. If you want to say Pompamarian theology is necessary for church success or you'll be in rebellion against God, nobody's going to read that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. we understand the necessity of clickbait. So just winding up, we're really grateful that you've taken the time to chat with us. Yeah. Um, we are... When it comes to, let's just take the one issue of uh, women pastors, and we may have already answered this, but just to be really clear, what would it take for you to change your mind? What would it take? Like, imagine a scenario where you would go, you know what? I'm a Southern Baptist, and I would like a female pastor. Yeah, because I've misread or whatever, like, insert that missing piece yeah. that you something will happen and that's what we're asking for that something that would what change would it take? your mind yeah. yeah of um me going crazy or something i mean there's the canon of scripture is closed so we don't have any more authoritative uh word of god in the form of scripture so there's nothing to change that except forever i mean i don't know why i would change my mind 
Right. Okay. So there's no there's no level of experience with a female pastor or oh, anything. Oh man, like- that's where you got to be careful. That's where your skinny jeans and fog machines come in. You're talking about your experience. Fog machines is good. It's not about your experience. It's about the scripture, sola scriptura. What does Jeremiah say? The heart is wicked and deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Who can know it? You don't trust your heart. You trust Jesus's heart. What about if there was a typo? Yeah. What yeah, about if what they, I mean. they like okay, found well, a new scroll and they're like, oh, it's actually this word and it oh, changes everything. We translated everything. the wrong word. Yeah. yeah would, would, that? would that change? So here's the doctrine of inerrancy when it comes down to is that the original manuscripts, the monographs are inerrant. We know that people copied them over time and over time. But when you look back at textual history, it's pretty sound what we have, Old Testament and New. It's, you're, you're talking about punctuation marks that are the copyist errors. E- even liberals and conservatives alike, Southern Baptists are the most liberal Methodists, we pretty much all agree on the Greek, that's the Bible. And we even really agree on the English translation. Translations and the Greek text is not a matter of controversy. Okay, so there would be right. no, so no there. there is nothing. There Jesus will... himself rolls yeah. up and he's like, yo, you got it wrong. Yeah. Paul said, if anyone comes to you and preaches a different gospel, even if it's an angel from heaven, let him be anathema. What's anathema? Uh, anathema means separated, uh, cut off, called a heretic. If Jesus himself came to you, you would be like, what? False angel from heaven. I'd be like, this is, yeah, this is, this is, this is Joseph Smith's fake Jesus. A lot of people say Jesus came to them and they're almost all crazy. Right. (laughs) Okay. So if Jesus came to you, you'd be like, oh crap. Yeah. (laughs) So that that goes back to his original answer. What would, what would cause you to change? I'd go crazy. Yeah, that's true. That's true. If you change your mind, you would read it as a symptom of you losing your mind. Yeah. Yeah, Something's happened to me. I've, I've lost it. Because the question you're asking is, what if God lies to you because the Holy Spirit's inspired the text and it said, A, and now you're saying, what if God comes to you and says, not A? That's impossible because it's impossible for God to lie. I understand. Well, I think I understand what you're saying, but what we're saying is, what say there was some sort of a new revelation? We're not saying that it was, that there was a lie we have se. a your cousin is like is a what is he a behavioral scientist behavioral kind scientist of guy, right? yeah. and, and he might say something like um because of the uh upbringing that we've been shaped by the experiences that we've had this shapes how we then read certain things mm-hmm. well said, everything he well, would say everything, everything. Yeah. yeah and so i guess the the piece that we would put between God saying what God says is is the chunk of interpretation shaped by experience and things like that. So I guess the question is what we're saying is, have you been shaped by your society to read it this way? And is there anything that in your upbringing and uh, life circumstance that may have led you to read it that way? And if that changed, would it change your reading? Oh, it's, it's quite the opposite. What's been drilled into me, especially at seminary, is the idea of exegesis, not eisegesis. Eisegesis is reading your own culture and context and background into the text. Faithful biblical understanding and teaching is going to the text and saying, who wrote it? When did he write it? Who did he write it to? What was his occasion for writing? And then when you understand that, 
Only then can you apply it to yourself and your culture. My biblical interpretation book, it's simplistic. It actually has a picture of a dude with a staff in an ancient city. And then there's a little bridge and there's a man in a business suit with a skyscraper. And it says, you have to cross this principalizing bridge. You have to take it from the old and make it to the new. It is the opposite of what to do to read your own culture and background and beliefs into it. You want God's word, not yours. So you would be saying that your reading does not put your own culture in it. Right. That's how you... That, that's yeah. right. Okay. 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 We, we really appreciate your time, Seth. It's oh, been thanks for having really me. really fascinating uh, conversation and insightful uh, conversation. So thanks for taking the time. And whether you agree or disagree with Seth, really doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't even really matter to him. It's just as long as it doesn't happen in his church. Yeah, whether you agree or disagree, not the point. Yeah. Do you understand how he got there yeah. and how this idea works for, works him. for him? Yeah. So that's the goal. That's the purpose. Uh, yeah. Seth actually has his own podcast. So if you're interested in Seth, he, he's a regular contributor to PNP News, which I was having yeah. a look at, if yep. you want to check that out. That's how and we Seth, tell Seth. us about your podcast. Yeah. My name, the name of my podcast is The Christian Commute. It's christiancommute.com. It's on iTunes. Uh, and it's a literal commute. I start in my car in the parking lot at work and drive home. It's about 30 or 40 minutes. Every day I cover some scripture. I go verse by verse by the, through the Bible. Right now I'm in the first John. Second part of the show is I take a question from the inbox. People email me questions, theology and apologetics. Question might be, and I want to be a pastor and why not? I would answer that. And then the third thing might be an article like you see at Pulpit and Pen, a discussion of a certain church situation and how the Bible applies five days a week, unless coronavirus makes me stay home. <laughs> I don't know if there's a law. I'm pretty sure that would be illegal in Australia. You can't podcast in yeah. <laughs> In Georgia, you can't hold your phone. So it has to be in a phone holder. And I've, I've got, this is my headset that I, actually a listener said. Okay. Yeah, right. yeah. We, we're, can, we're, we can probably do that. We're a bit of a nanny state. We here, are a bit of a nanny state. Don't come here, mate. You, <laughs> yeah. you, you wouldn't like it. Yeah, your podcast is shut here. down. <laughs> Communist Australia. Yeah. Um, so thanks for thanks for joining us. And if you want to reach out to us, ideasdigest at gmail.com. You yep. can see us on Instagram. We do most of them live, but this one not because Seth... Yeah. Doesn't like skinny jeans, smoke machines, and probably Instagram fits in that. Um, so if you have any questions, thoughts, topics to discuss, send them through. And I, I think that's it. You can rate and review the show. And, yeah. you know, a lot of people are actually, I was chatting to people, they're recommending the show. That's amazing. So if you want to recommend the show to somebody <laughs> yeah. and say, hey, do yeah. you want to sit uncomfortably listening to someone's ideas you disagree with? Hey, Tiger. We've got <laughs> one of Seth's little kids just popped up. Oh. Guess what? Mom's taking my train and wheels off my bike. Whoa! Yeah. That's five. cool. You're only five. You're only five, what everybody. Kind of podcast has guests like this. Theologians. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, what's your, what's your son's name? His name is Athanasius. Athanasius. Wow. Next week, we speak to Athanasius and how the training wheels without the bike is going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the bike without the training wheels. Yeah. <laughs> so... Thanks for listening and we will catch you in the next episode. Yeah, thanks.